Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Redemption Hill podcast. We are a community of people learning the way of Jesus to bless our city of Boise, Idaho, and beyond. Redemption Hill is a unique place. We are a collective of micro churches that do life together throughout the week and gather on Sundays to grow, worship, and celebrate what God is doing in our city. You are invited to join us Sundays at 9 a.m. at Discovery Church in Boise, where you can find the community you need in any season of your life. More details can be found at redemptionboise.org. Up next is the teaching segment from this week's Sunday Gathering. Afterwards, stay tuned for more information on how to get connected at Redemption Hill. All right. Well, we are in our, our fourth week of the La Familia series, and this, what we've been talking about is what it means to be family on mission, which is the central picture, metaphor, story that we tell about what it means to be microchurch, which is God's people in its uh, most irreducible minimum is what we call microchurch. It's humble, it's simple, it has rhythms of up, in, and out, of worship, of formation, and of mission. That's what microchurch is. And we've been asking, what does that foundationally look like? How do we live in that sort of a way? Because it's different than probably most of you have experienced in other faith communities. This Sunday morning is probably the normal experience for most faith communities. You walk in, you sit in a row, there's some music, there's some talking, and then you go home. But this is just a a tip of the iceberg of what it means to be God's people. God's people happens around kitchen tables and in living rooms and walking down the street and sharing our lives together on our kids' sidelines and over meals. That's where the formation happens. That's where the mission happens. That's where deep intimacy and connection with God happens. And so when we do Sunday mornings, what we say is we're a network of microchurch. We um, have these small irreducible, minimal communities, nine of them right now that happen throughout our city. And we gather Sundays to be formed and prepared for that work that we do in those spaces. And we've been walking through actually, um, I don't know how much we've talked about this, but we're walking through some ideas from a book called Family on Mission. It's a real simple title, Family on Mission by Mike and Sally Breen. And uh, they just walk through what they have learned and seen in the text of the scripture and in their own lives about how to live on mission. And I'd suggest it's a great one to go through with your microchurch. You together can be formed by hearing the stories and thinking about what does it look like to have the sort of interconnected life that we're hoping for. In the last few weeks, we've really dug in on what does it mean that God is our father and what kind of family is he trying to create? Because if we reproduce the families that we grew up in, they're probably going to have some level of dysfunction. Can I get an amen? Uh, There's probably going to be some, a deep level of our families that we're creating that aren't formed in the way of Jesus and don't look like our Heavenly Father. And so our work is to ask, what does it look like to be a part of God's family? And what we've talked about is that being a part of God's family means that we leave behind the oikos, the families, the, the, the households of this world, the way that we've done things, and we grab hold of the identity as beloved children of God, and we grab hold of his calling and his work in mission in the world, and to do that, we're formed deeply in community. So we see that Jesus, right at the beginning of his ministry, is rejected by his oikos, his family, his entire village in Nazareth. After he goes and he reads in the synagogue this, in Luke chapter 4, we see him read from Isaiah this passage about what it looks like for the Messiah to come, and then he says, this has been fulfilled in its reading right here. And then Jesus does some stuff. His family comes and tries to stop him from talking the way that he's talking because he's, he's talking like Messiah. He's talking with authority. He's challenging the narrative of the Pharisees that had come before him. And so then they literally walk him to the top of a hill where they're going to throw him off the hill and crush his skull on rocks, and then they're going to finish the job by stoning him. And what you see in that story, which is... I think today Jesus would have got stoned a lot quicker, <laughs> like in, in our world. Like he would have, you know, been canceled really quickly. Um, but Jesus 
as he's about to be thrown off this cliff, you don't see his mom and his family objecting in that story. And that's an argument from silence. We just don't see it in the scripture. But there doesn't seem to be a group of people who are trying to protect Jesus in that moment. He's all alone after the temptation in the desert, after receiving his identity as the beloved of the Father who will be his representative on earth. He's all alone, and what God does is he says, this is not the end. There's still more work to do. And Jesus walks through the crowd. And this is the beginning of the work that Jesus is going to do to start his own oikos. Now, oikos is, is the Greek word for household, but it, we, t- we say oikos because it's so much more um, expansive than our understanding of household. Household in the first century was most likely a, a small business that was run together out of a family's home or a group of homes in a small compound. Multi-generational families that lived together under a guild. And so you would, you would probably have, uh, Jesus came from a family that was part of the Builder's Guild. And we, we use carpenter, but it wasn't woodwork. I don't know if you've seen any ruins from the first century, but there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of wood in Palestine, but then like there's just not a lot of woodworking happening. Jesus was a stonemason, a builder. His family was a family of builders. And so his extended family would have been this family business of laborers who worked together to take on contracts and do the work. And the oikos would have then been their employees. They would have been um, the extended family. And it would have been anybody who lives under their household who lives under their authority. Where we have, uh, our household is very nuclear. It's, it's, it's a person or it's a person and their spouse and then any of the children below them. But this is a more expansive view. Uh, It might include your neighbors who are also living in this Oikos community with you because of um, wealth or poverty. It might mean that your in-laws are probably living with you. If they've they've lived into their 50s or 60s, they are probably, um, almost everyone was widowed by the time they're in their 50s or 60s in the first century, and so they were likely widows living among you. There was likely aunts and uncles who did not have children to care for them. Um, And here is Jesus where he's been settled in this oikos, in this family of builders, and as he's he's being thrown off of this cliff, his oikos that he has relied on for his security and his family is nowhere to be seen to protect him. He's been betrayed. At the very beginning, Jesus is betrayed by those who were meant to care for him. He's been rejected by his family and by his, by his tribe, the, the town of Nazareth. And so Jesus has to go off on his own. He doesn't have an option. And you see Jesus never, fun, never returns to Nazareth and stays there the rest of his life. He's pushed out of his hometown. But what we see is Jesus didn't say, okay, I'm going to do this all on my own. He didn't go out and just go, I'm going to be the lone ranger who's going to change the world. What Jesus did was he started to build for himself a new oikos, a new family. Because we see that from the very beginning, family and this idea of deep connection is written into the fabric of the cosmos. What we see in Genesis chapter 1 when God himself speaks, he speaks in plural of himself. He uses the, the form Elohim, which means gods. It literally is a, is a preview of what, how God will reveal himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God himself is community, built on an eternal love, loving relationship that out of that love relationship spews creation which is the same thing that happens and why when we married, there is something truly magical about it, truly mystical about it, is that literally the community of my love with my wife somehow mystically produces life. This is what it means to be like God, is to join him in his work of creation through intimate community. Oikos was there from the beginning. We see it at creation. And then fall is a rejection, like the sin in Genesis 2 and 3 is a rejection of the family of God. The people saying, I don't want to be a part of your family. And then God saying, 
too bad, I'm still going to make a family. And so he, he just starts building his own family. He finds someone who will listen to him, who will be a part of his family. He invites Abraham to create for him an oikos, this, this family that will be his representatives on earth. They fail. Abraham's family can't be the ones who will bring God's kingdom. And so we see the birth of Jesus into an oikos, into this family where he will be nurtured and cared for. Children who are not born into families never thrive. Children who, children who bounce around our foster system or live in orphanages never find the sort of stability to thrive in this world. And that's why God put Jesus into an oikos to be this foundational piece of his life. But then Jesus is rejected by his oikos, that family. But he wasn't going to give up on the idea of this household. He was going to create a, a family, an oikos, but a different kind of oikos. That instead of it being built around obligation, it's built around choice. People choose to covenant with one another in this new kind of family, God's kind of family. It's instead of being built around familial obligation, it's rather built around a choice to enjoy and to live in joy with one another. And so Jesus doesn't pack it in and decide to do it on his own. And we see that God is doing something new here. Have you ever thought of Jesus' disciples as a family, as a household? It's kind of weird that we don't think of it this way, but that's Jesus was creating a household on the move. Um, and so what we're going to do is we're going to try to build our oikos, our microchurch, extended families on mission, around the way that Jesus did it. Instead of trying to do it our own way, we're trying to mimic the way that Jesus does everything. And so we, we watch the way that Jesus makes disciples, and that's how we're trying to make disciples. We have intimate relationships that last years and form people in the way of Jesus, just like Jesus did with his disciples. Um, we don't do one-on-one -on -one discipleship because Jesus never did one-on-one -on -one discipleship. That's not a format that was ever a part of the early church. We don't do that. Um, we don't call preaching discipleship. So, like, I'm not discipling you right now. You are learning some things about Jesus. But discipleship is a relationship between a rabbi teacher and the disciples who have access to his life. And so I'm not in a discipleship relationship with you all. I'm in a discipleship relationship with a few of you, with Ernie and Mike and Brian and Sam. Those are the guys that I give access to my life to. But this is not discipleship. Because Jesus didn't call this discipleship. He didn't, he didn't say that this was formative when he spoke to the crowds. It was much more like a prophet speaking truth and inviting people in. And so what we're going to try to do is look at the way that God built his family, and we're going to build our families the same way. So we're going to start with this. God is relational. God is community. The essence of God is this Trinitarian relationship. And so we believe that we are meant for relationship. God is not a loner, so we're not loners. God is not a lone ranger, so we are not lone rangers. From the very beginning to the very end, God is building for himself deep connections between the Trinity and all of creation. And so anytime you feel a pull towards isolation, that is fundamentally anti-Christ. Isolation is a way that this world and our flesh and Satan work to pull us away from God's work in our lives. God is relational, therefore we are relational, and we fight those impulses. And we see that even the Son of God needed a family to fully function in his calling. Jesus knew that the mission that he was building, that he was going to be um, creating in the world, the work that he was doing, he couldn't do it on his own. It had to be in the context of his family because Jesus needed relationship. He needed people around him who could care for him and understand him. You need relationship. You need people who care for you and understand you. And when you don't have that, what we've seen, particularly the last three years through the COVID pandemic and, and the the aftermath is that when human beings are isolated, we disintegrate. We literally become nothing, so nothing that we say, I'd rather die than live on earth. Anxiety and depression is a direct connection to isolation. 
Just like Jesus needed community, we desperately need community for care and for understanding. We need partnership because one person, even the Son of God himself, cannot bring about the sort of transformation this world needs. If you want to see things happen, uh, there's an old African proverb. We've all heard it so many times, but if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, run, run together. And that's what we believe is that formation and transformation of this world happens through partnership together. What we see is that Jesus needed loyal people around him. People who would be with him through his trials so that he could bear the cost and the burdens of what was happening. And so what, what we want to do is create the kind of communities that have deep loyalty, care for one another, the ride-or-die kind of friendships that we all need. And we also see that Jesus needed financial support. God allowed wealthy women of Judea to be his benefactors so that they would be connected and be a part of his mission. Jesus never brought any material goods to bear any sort of physical work that we saw through his ministry, but God provided through people who had means. And that's a part of how God builds oikos, is he provides for us through people that God brings along. Okay, so right after Jesus loses his family and he's almost thrown off a cliff, where does he go? Well, Nazareth is out of the question. He's almost killed by his village because he claimed to be the Messiah. So where does he go? He goes to Capernaum. I know you knew that. Write that down. Everybody say Capernaum. Capernaum. Jesus goes to Capernaum. Why does he go to Capernaum? Have you ever thought about that? Like Jesus is literally rejected and almost killed in his hometown. Where do you go if you're almost rejected and killed here in Boise if you're from here? You don't go to Nampa. That's a terrible decision. Uh, no, you, you get out of town, right? You just, you just get on the road and go. You, like it is, you're, you're in threat mode. And where do you go? You go to people who who are going to give you protection, people who are going to be with, it, with you in it. And that's where Jesus has these two new friends that happened. So before Jesus called his disciples and before he has the 12, there's these two guys who start following him around. And we're going to go to John chapter 1, verse 35, if you have your Bibles. Um, so here's, here's what happens. The following day, John was sitting again, standing with two of his, two of his disciples. And Jesus walks by. And John looked at him and declared, Look, there's the Lamb of God. And when John's two disciples heard this, they said, Bye, Felicia, and like went with Jesus. Because they knew that that's what they were hoping for. That's what they were looking for. There's these two guys, what are their names? Simon and Andrew, these two brothers. Well, Jesus looked around and he sees these puppy dogs following him. And he says, What do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. They went with him to the place where he was staying, and they remained with him for the rest of the day. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. And then Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, we found the Messiah, which means the Christ, the anointed one. And then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, Your name is son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. Okay, so Jesus meets these two guys. They're following around like puppy dogs. He's almost killed in Nazareth. And what does he do? He goes to the place where he has friends. Because this is the beginning of all spiritual family. This is the beginning of actually all relationship. What we call persons of peace or friends. Someone likes you. Someone looks at you and says, you know what? I want to hang out with that person. It happens in romantic relationships too. You see someone across the room and they seem pleasing to you. And you go, I want to hang out with that person. And then you start some sort of relationship where there is some proximity together. And that's where all relationship, all family starts is this friend. And we call them persons of peace. Uh, Jesus uses that language when he's going to send out the, his disciples in the 72 out. He says, when you go to a town, offer your peace, and if they receive you, stay there until you leave. And this was a sign of friendship, someone who had open boundaries and, and fundamentally followed the way of God through hospitality. And this is, the world that we live in is, a, is an inhospitable world. 
And so when we're looking around to say where God might be at work, we start with hospitality and we start with people who are open to us because that is a sign that someone is opening themselves up to God. People who open themselves up to the world may be open to God's work in their lives. And so that's one of the starting points that we, that we go to. They give hospitality. They feed you. And in the ancient world, when someone invited you into their home, they gave you hospitality, they fed you, and they provided protection for you. They were responsible as your, as your sponsor in that town. What We see this in um, Genesis chapter... 9, 11, I'm trying to remember, uh, where Lot is in Sodom and these angels come to stay with him and the neighbors want to come and do horrible things to these men. Lot himself puts himself in front of these men because the honor of his household is under threat if he allows these visitors that he's given hospitality to to be hurt. That is hospitality in the ancient world. You're offering protection by bringing them under your roof. You're saying that I will protect you from my town because you are my people. And in this case, we see them call Jesus rabbi or teacher, which means that not only, not only do they like Jesus, not only do they serve Jesus and invite Jesus into their household, but Jesus, they're submitting themselves to his teaching. He's, he's someone that they're saying, okay, there's something about this guy that is, is powerful. And what they heard from John is, this is the one you've been looking for. This is this, the Lamb of God. And another uh, verse says, the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. And so we see that like there's this, they know that what they're looking for is the Messiah and they find it in Jesus. And so Jesus goes to Capernaum and he teaches at the synagogue and he heals a bunch of people. And then his friends invite them over to his house, Simon and Andrew. And they're amazed at his teaching because he spoke with authority. And then Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law, who's sick with a fever. I don't know if you've ever been to someone's house where the mom is sick with a fever. But in my house, when Malia is sick with a fever, our house is in disarray. And the likelihood that you'll be fed corn dogs goes up 200%. Um, this is the reality of hospitality in my home, and I th even more so in the first century, Peter's mother-in-law is the one who's going to provide the hospitality. And so Jesus goes, I better heal her first. <laughs> he walks in, lays hands on her. She's healed and then immediately starts feeding them, which is like, it's this picture of the hospitality of Jesus to invite himself in and give away his kingdom to them. And then them immediately joining his oikos, his family. So Jesus is inviting these people of peace into his life. They took interest. They offered hospitality. They gave him honor for his teaching by calling him the teacher. And Jesus then wants to see, are these the kind of people who are just really polite, first century, hospitable people? Or are these the kind of people who are going to be my followers? So we go from friends. That's the first level. Well, we have like, you know, all the world, which is probably somewhat threatening to us. And then the subset of that is some people who are nice to us and offer us some sort of openness or hospitality. We might call them persons of peace or friends. And then the next level is, are these the people who are going to follow me, who are going to be in it with me? And so Jesus wants to see, are these guys really polite and they like what I'm saying? Like a lot of you come here on Sundays and you're really polite. You sit there nicely, you listen to me, and then you go, I don't know about that. And then you live your life however you want because you don't really know if you want to follow what we're doing here. I'm not going to point you out. You know who you are. <laughs> um, but there's, like, that's the reality. Every community has people who are sitting on the outside who haven't yet stepped in and said, I'm going to, I'm going to be a part of this thing. And so they're out on the, sh on the seashore. These guys were fishermen. And the crowds are pushing in on the beach. Jesus has his back to the water. And he's like, if I don't get in the water. They're going to push me into the water. And so Jesus says to these fishermen who are cleaning their nets from the night of fishing, he says, can I use the boat so I can go out a little ways and then people won't be crowding me into the water? And kind of natural amplification so it doesn't get wet. And this is not just a, this is not a normal request. What, what Jesus is saying is you're in the middle of your work day, okay? These fishermen are cleaning their nets and Jesus is coming up and saying, hey, could I use your work equipment while you're in the middle of working to do this thing that I'm doing? 
it would be much like um, maybe I go to Mike Peck and I ask him if I can use his nail gun. And he's like, well, here's the thing. I'm actually in the middle of installing a floor right now. I kind of need that nail gun to do my job. This is a, an intimate request. Can I borrow your tool belt? Or like it's 10 o'clock on a Tuesday and someone asks if they can borrow your laptop for the rest of the day for your work. Who's going to say yes to that request? <laughs> yeah, I'd like a day off. I'll, I'll give you my laptop and, you know, the intimacy of that work. But they respond by saying, let's do it. They jump in the boat. They push out a little ways. Jesus is seeing if they're going to make this move from friend to follower, from, from people of peace who are friends. They know Jesus. They're friendly. They offer hospitality. And then they might appreciate his teaching. But, but this is kind of limited. We all know those people who like us and respect us, but they don't want to get too close. Do you have those friends who are like, they really like you from a distance, and so they want to keep you out there? I've got a few, like, friends and neighbors and even some family who are like, I like you over there, you know? Like, you're really cool, and, like, they, they you know, it's, it's like the Facebook likes, the people who always hit like on Facebook. You see them once a year, but you, like, never, you actually never are with them. That's kind of... That's the, that's the friend zone of spiritual life, of oikos. But you can't build an oikos with people of peace and with friends. Friends serve when they can. They'll help you out when they are able, but they're not in it with you. But followers will submit their skills and resources to someone else's mission. Followers are going to submit to the work that you're doing by coming alongside of you. And Jesus wants to test the water to see if their followers are friends. It's in Luke chapter 5. It says, One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed there were two empty boats at the water's edge for fishermen had left them, and they're washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat, and he taught the crowds from there. And then... When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it's deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, Listen, we worked hard all night. We didn't catch a thing, but, but if you say so, I'll let down our nets again. This time their nets were so full of fish they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. And when Simon Peter realized what had happened, he falls on his knees before Jesus. And he says, oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm a sinful man because he's awestruck by this miraculous number of fish that they caught, as were the others who were with them. And his partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they were, they were also just amazed. And Jesus replies to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything, and they followed Jesus. Now, you've got Jesus, who's a day laborer, stonemason, telling these fishermen how to do their job. We have no picture that Jesus has any knowledge of fishing at all. And the question is, would they submit themselves to Jesus even when they felt pride about their professional acumen? I want you to think about the thing that you do for work that you're most proud of the thing that you do best and know better than almost anybody else in your life. Got it? Now, what if I were to come into your work and suggest that you do it differently? To suggest that you think differently about the way that you do your work. Now, if it's in communication or design or like a little bit of real estate, I have some, some authority because those are the things that I do for work. And, and when I sit down, I sit down with Mike and Ernie and Brian and Sam every week, and we talk about their work, and they listen to me shape the way that they think about how to be engineers and editors and foremen and business owners because they trust and follow me not because I am an expert in what they do, but they, they know that I want to help them live out what they've been called to in their work. And this is how Jesus knows that they're ready to follow and that they'll listen to something that they, are, that they feel pride about. 
Simon is, is overwhelmed when he submits himself to Jesus and he sees this miraculous catch. And then Jesus says, he gives them this invitation when they taste this power of the kingdom of God to come in that moment. And he says, from now on, you're going to fish for people. He's, he has stepped into their family. Okay, Jesus starts as a person of peace outside of their family, being offered hospitality. Then he joins into their oikos, which is their little fishing business family. And he speaks into it, and he meets them there and invites them to change the way that they're doing what they're doing. So these first disciples, they go from friends to followers. And remember, friends serve where they can. Followers submit their skills and resources to someone else's mission. That's what Jesus is doing with these guys. He's saying, I want you to leave behind your life, and I want you to join this new family that I'm creating. But there's one more progression that they have to make to be a part of the oikos that Jesus is building to replace his family and be the center of this movement of his kingdom that's coming. The disciples go from friends to followers, and then everything has to change when he invites them into their oikos. When Jesus steps in, he has to change the way that they live in their family. But there's a huge difference between Jesus, when you invite Jesus into your household and becoming a part of Jesus's oikos. Do you feel that? Some of you have invited Jesus to come visit and live with your family in your household. And you're happy to offer him hospitality as long as you are the one who is setting the ground rules for how you live. A lot of us sit in that space because we're not sure we can trust that God is going to care for us. Friends are those who serve when they can. Followers are those who submit their skills and resources to have Jesus transform them. But family are those who surrender completely, laying down their agenda fully for the agenda of Jesus. So Jesus and his disciples, they don't stay at his house in, in Peter's house in Capernaum. They move out and they gather other disciples. They leave their oikos to join Jesus' oikos, to join in the Jesus mission wherever it goes. And leaving their nets is more than a symbolic gesture. It was a sign of leaving the family trade, the oikos of their father, to join the Jesus mission, to become these disciples, these mathetes of Jesus, to learn to be a teacher, a rabbi like them. Now, I'm wondering if God challenged you and said, you're going to leave behind your work. You're going to leave behind your calling and your business to come join in the family business of his household. How many of us would be left in this room if we were challenged to leave behind the way that we've done life and join in the way that Jesus wants us to do it? This is the ultimate test to see, are they ready to leave the oikos and their identity and join Jesus' family? And then something really cool happens. Turn to Matthew chapter 16, if you have it. They head to um, Caesarea Philippi, which is like the, the Las Vegas of, of the northern part of Israel. It is immorality, idolatry. Like there's literally a, uh, an opening in this group of caves that they call the Gates of Hades. And they believe that that's like where, you, where the underworld comes in and out of the world around them. Okay? Caesarea Philippi. Um, and this is what happens. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. Jesus comes to the region of Caesarea Philippi. He asks his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. And others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then he asked them, well, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter this is like a Slumdog Millionaire moment for, for Peter. You guys watch Slumdog Millionaire? Like it's this miraculous thing where he wins this, this uh, television game show because he just happens to know the answers to these 10 questions. This is Peter's Slumdog Millionaire moment. Peter says, like it's just like something clicks in him. Maybe he hears a literal whisper from the Holy Spirit or from an angel. And he says, you are the Messiah the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, Oh, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You didn't learn this from any human being. And now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock I will build my church. Now stop there. 
what is the trade of Jesus' oikos? He's a builder. He built with rock. You guys, you guys know that uh, they call electricians sparky? Anybody know that? Like that's, if, you, if you're in the trades and you say sparky, you're not talking about one person. You're talking about a whole host of people who have never cleaned a job site in their life. That's what electricians do. They come, they put wires in, and they leave a mess. And you call them sparky because that's the name of electricians, because they create sparks. That's what you call them. I think what Jesus is doing here is he's saying, Peter, now, now you're a part of my oikos. Now you belong in my family because my family are builders. And then get this, okay? And all the powers of hell that are coming out of this gates of Hades below you, they're not going to conquer it. And I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. And then he sternly warned the disciples, do not tell anyone that he was the Messiah. When Jesus says, upon this rock, I will build my church, the word build there, this is cool, the word build there is oiko dormeo. Oiko dormeo, the literal builder of the oikos. This is not a coincidence. This is Christ's invitation to Peter to join him in the work of building up the ecclesia, the, the gathered people, the, the family that Jesus is bringing to be a part. Jesus wants to make sure that Peter understands his identity, that he, Jesus is the Son of God. And, and what Jesus is trying to get Peter and the disciples to realize is that when he says Son of God, what it means is he is the primogenitor, the oldest son of the living God who comes as the representative of the Father to create a new household. Because only, only oldest sons created new households. That was the way it worked in the, in the old, in the first world, in the first century. Jesus wants to make sure that they understand that he is the firstborn of God who is now creating his own household and that Simon now is joining in with his household because he is submitted to Christ's work and Christ's identity as Messiah. Jesus is the builder. And Simon's getting the name Rocky because now he's joining the family business of building up the oikos of Christ's family. But it doesn't stop with Jesus just building a family. He entrusts to his disciples the same work. He says, everything that you bind on earth and everything you loose on earth is going to be bound and loosed in heaven. Uh, this is, there's, there's a lot to go into here, and we're not going to touch it all, but um, this is about permitting and forbidding and interpreting the ancient law with authority. Jesus is saying, now you're the keys, you have the keys to the kingdom, you're the ones who are going to decide what is a part of my kingdom and my family and what's not a part of my kingdom and my family. You as a community are going to interpret for the world what it means to be followers of Jesus. And this is how that God is going to build up the oikos, the householders' people, through the people that he has taught the way. The kids coming in is genius. It always speeds me up. Like, this is, this is what we always needed. Jesus was building his house with teenage and 20-something boys, and it's going to stand the test of millennia. And so here we are, and the question is, what does that mean for you? Well, I got a few questions for you, okay? Write these down, and... and and I, I, I prefer that you spend some time in your microchurch thinking about this. When you think about your relationship with Jesus and his family, are you a friend who serves when it's convenient to you? Are you a follower who submits your time and your resource to his mission? Or are you family? Have you joined the oikos and live in covenant relationship, ride or die, with Jesus. With Jesus, are you friend? Are you family? Are you follower? And then deeply tied to that is the question of, where are you with us, with our network of microchurch? What, what does that look like for you? Are you a friend? Are you somebody who's sitting there and just like listening up and you, you enjoy it and you serve where you can? 
Are you a follower who have submitted your resource and time and energy to be a part? Or are you family and you're ready to do anything for the mission that God has called us to as a community? That should feel like some challenge in your life. Now here's the thing. There are going to be people who are friends, who are followers, and who are family in our network and in our oikos, in our microchurch. That's the way it was always meant to be. That's the way it will always be. There will never be a pure oikos of only people who are committed in covenant to one another. It's not the way that works. What happens is people start as friends, they become followers, and then they join in the family. And so some of you are on a journey, and you started out as friends, and we want you to know we love that you're here, and we love that you're a part, and that you're trying to figure out what it means to step into this followership of Jesus and this family of community that we are. And God is at work in you, and when you feel those moments and he challenges you to step deeper in, do it because it's powerful and it changes everything in your life. Because what it means to be a part of the family is that you're preparing to be a teacher like Jesus. The family business of God's people is to become people who look like Jesus and teach the way of Jesus in discipleship relationships to others. And some of you, that feels like this insurpassable burden, like you can't imagine becoming the kind of person that would teach someone else the way of Jesus. But I got to say, almost all of you, probably every single one of you, God has given spiritual influence, has given passion, has given relationship that God wants to use in our oikos of community to influence and see the kingdom of God come to life around you. And you've been invited into the family business of learning how to be a rabbi and pass on the light and easy yoke of Jesus. And the question is, are you going to grab hold of that or are you going to hold back? Here's the thing. You can be where you want to be with God, and God's going to give you grace to move through these phases over time. And it's not my job to push you along. It's not my job to decide for you if you want to move from outsider to friend to, fi- to follower to family. That's between you and the Father. But I want to tell you, if you want more access to the people of God, if you want more of God's presence, it's going to require submission to the way, and it's going to require surrender of all the things that you hold dear but it's this beautiful surrender where you're transformed in the midst of it. Covenant relationship comes through commitment to surrender to Jesus, to one another in mutual submission, into the leadership of microchurch and network decisions, even when we don't like them. Not, Not because they're always right, but because the people that have been put in charge have responsibility and the joy to serve as directional leaders in our community. And so when we enter into family, we're saying, like, every family, the leader makes a bad decision, except God's family. Our, our leader makes a good decision. We make bad decisions under him, okay? But what it looks like when we follow in the way of Jesus is that we surrender to him, and that means that we live among people and we live underneath people that are flawed. And in community, we learn how to walk in the way of Jesus, Now, what does that mean, surrender to Jesus? Well, it means that Jesus' words and his way, they're absolute. And we we respond and we, we surrender to accountability to be transformed in the way of Jesus. So if you want to be family with Jesus' family, you say, I'm going to put myself under Jesus and let his words be authoritative in my life. It means that we, uh, we trust the voice of the oikos, the family, and, and when they challenge us, we believe that it's for our benefit, and we listen. And even, even and this is so countercultural, but we let, we let the Oikos family, the covenant, the spiritual parents in our midst, we let their authority over us change how we see and how we think. If that didn't feel bristly to you, then you're probably not listening to me. <laughs> this is what it means to live in covenant relationship, is to submit ourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
And what it means here is that we live out of mutual submission to one another. No one is above reproach. There's three elders in our community. None of us are above reproach. We actually expect reproach. We expect the community. And some of you feel very free to tell me when I'm wrong. I deeply appreciate that most of the time. Um, but mutual submission out of reverence for Christ means that no one is above challenge. And it's not about power or position, but rather we're humbly trying to please our Father. It isn't about our leaders having moral purity, but, and, and some of you, like, we're not challenging each other to make sure that you look good and to make sure that you make us look good. We don't believe in an honor-shame system where if you are behaving badly, it reflects badly on us, so we need to control you. Honestly, we don't care about that at all. We know that your lives are a mess, and we see it, and that's okay. But what we expect and what we're hoping for is that instead of trying to get moral purity, we're growing in the way of Jesus. And so in humble submission to one another, we expect humble challenge from one another. And when someone is proud in their challenge to us and arrogant in their challenge to us, what we try to do is we want to deal with the arrogant challenger before we deal with the one who is being reproached. Because we believe that pride itself is a killer of our community. All right, I'm going to skip that part because we're getting late. Uh, If the band wants to come up, I'm going to finish up. Um, Lastly is this. What does it mean to move from followers of Christ to family and oikos, it means covenant. And covenant is a, it's fundamentally like when you see the word covenant, you shouldn't read promise, you should read blood oath, okay? In, in, the, in the Hebrew, the word to make a covenant is to literally to cut a covenant, which means to open it up and spill its blood as an example of how seriously we take the promises that we make in in covenant. And so when we want to move from follower to family, it looks like these three commitments. It means I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm going to follow the leaders that he's put in this family. It means I will make the community and the mission a priority over all other things. And it means I'm going to serve with my time and my energy and my resources to submit myself to the Jesus mission. And some of you are like, I'm not there yet. That's okay, but I want to challenge you. These are the commitments. Follow Jesus, make the community the mission and priority, and serve with your time and life and energy in submission to the Jesus mission. This is the calling and the invitation to be family. Um, A lot of our families, they live with very little covenant. They're relationships of um, convenience, primarily where we say, if I can make it, I'll show up. We say, if it works with my kids' sports schedules, I'll be there. We say, if I have enough energy, I'll be there. But covenant community requires us to say, no matter what, ride or die, I'm by your side. You're my people, I'm your people. And the power of that is that when you enter into that sort of community, It becomes this life-giving, powerful force to not just change you and bless you, but to bring God's power and kingdom into your life. That's why we think it's so important. That's why we want to invite you into it. So let's close our eyes. I want to invite you to take a moment to assess. Where are you with Jesus? Are you a friend? Are you a follower? Or have you joined in his oikos, his family? To those of you who sense I am a friend of God, but I have not yet entered in, I want to say to you, this is Jesus' invitation, his words, come all of you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. To be a follower of Jesus is not a bunch of work, it's a, it's a joyful presence. It's a light yoke and an easy burden. And God's invitation to you as a friend is to come receive it. For those of you who are followers and you serve when you can, Jesus' invitation to you is this, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. This is the work that he wants to do is to transform you in the way so that you can be people who teach the world what it means to be God's people.
And for those of you who are followers and who are thinking about joining the family of God, Jesus is saying this, join the family business. Join the family guild of Oikos Builder. Oike Dormio. And take his family name. Rocky. The ones on which he's going to build his church. Lord God, may we each look to you and to your beautiful face and to the incredible work you've done for us. Open up our hands and say, I want more. I want more of your presence. I want more of your work. I want to look more like Jesus. I want to sound more like Jesus. I want to love more like Jesus. I want to teach more like Jesus. I want to be humble more like Jesus. Lord God, we open up our hands and say, we want more of you and less of us. May we move and take this sacred journey from enemies of God to family members who belong to the Father, who are loved and delighted in by you. May we follow after our older brother Jesus and becoming the kind of oikos builders, these home builders that you've called us to become. As we receive communion this morning, may it remind us that you don't invite us to you don't invite us to become a part of your family and it doesn't cost you anything but it costs everything for us to belong with you and may we receive that covenant the blood oath that you made to make a place for us in your family in your holy name we pray amen thanks again for listening make sure to subscribe to get the weekly episodes in your podcast feed you can find out more on how to get connected with Redemption Hill at redemptionboise.org slash connection, where you can fill out the Connect card and start your journey today. For regular encouragement throughout the week, follow us on Instagram at Redemption Boise. We are so glad you're here and are excited to accompany you in your story with God. We hope to see you soon.